I'm Duncan McLeod, and this is the Tech Central Show, brought to you today by MTN Business. You can visit them at mtnbusiness.co.za, and we thank them for partnering with the show. Now, we're going to be talking all things e-commerce and online shopping with my next guest. Aidan Johnson is head of MassMart-owned OneCart, a grocery delivery platform. Aidan, great to see you. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. So there's a lot going on in the e-commerce space in South Africa this year. It's been actually a bit of a roller coaster, and we're going to get into some of that and what it means for the South African market. But Aidan, I thought a good place to start would be just to ask a bit about your background. I, I believe you spent some time working with the Checkers 6060 team, um, but I believe your background spans more than e-commerce. Tell us a bit about your, yourself and your career. Yeah, sure. I've got a, a pretty diverse uh, career background. Okay. Um, I've got a bit of a learning mindset, which means that I tend to gravitate to new experiences and problems to solve, that kind of thing. As you say, uh, rightly so, uh, my previous role before before heading up OneCart was with the ShopRite group, mm-hmm. where I, uh, I helped to run uh, part of the 6060 business. And that was a real pleasure, a lot of learnings to take there. Uh, prior to that, I, I worked across uh, consumer goods, mm-hmm. automotive, insurance, some of consulting, uh, kind of all kinds of functions uh, sort of. Uh, covered off there, uh, marketing, go-to-market strategy, operations and sales as well. But but none of those roles quite compares to kind of the challenge and uh, the exciting opportunity that we're going to talk about today, which Absolutely. is setting up uh, the OneCart business. OneCart, yeah. So, I mean, do you think e-commerce is your uh, your industry now? Is this where you're going to gonna focus your career? Yeah, I, I find that people, um, people that like to solve problems, mm-hmm. people that think really quickly, people that like to think big picture – and uh, and maybe people that are a little a little kind of urgent like to gravitate towards digital mm-hmm. and towards e-commerce because those problems have to be solved very very quickly. Um, you need to be have a high tolerance for risk, uh, and you need to enjoy new doing new yeah. new things and have a learning mindset. I think. At the end and there are a lot of complex challenges to solve in 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 the space specifically here in South Africa, and we're going to get into some of that uh, during that during the discussion today. But. Tell us a bit about OneCart. Uh, I remember interviewing the founders of OneCart a couple of years ago. I can't remember exactly which year it was, but I think it was um, one or two years before COVID hit. And uh, and since then, the business literally exploded. And of course, it was acquired by MassMart. Um, what is OneCart? Why did it start? Um, and what's its position in the market? Sure. So let's start with where it began. Mm. Um, and you rightly say that it was just just pre-COVID, it was independently owned and operated at that point. Um, OneCart is essentially a, a marketplace, an on-demand marketplace. Now, that's fancy words for, um, it's like a virtual mall. Mm-hmm. It's a platform where you can come online and uh, and enjoy many different retail opportunities and offerings across very different categories. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. It's not just groceries. It's not just groceries. It's appliances. It's pet baby. It's kind of everything. Books. So it's books. Mm-hmm. We have exclusive books on the platform as well. A really good way to think about it is as a virtual mall, a mall without the friction, which we'll probably chat about in a couple of minutes. Sure. COVID uh, saw the business get a lot of traction. It was one of the real pioneers in on demand, which is where it really got its start. Subsequent to that, MassMart has purchased the business in its entirety. Mm-hmm. Uh, the initial founders are no longer with the business. Um, and at the moment, there are kind of 
three real strategic imperatives, three reasons that the, that, the, that the business was purchased and three things that we're going after. The first thing is by far the most important. It's our North Star. And this is to build South Africa's best on-demand marketplace. Okay. Now, there are other marketplaces that we're aware of, but none of them are on-demand. And what does on-demand mean? It means I want it right now. Mm-hmm. I don't want to wait tomorrow or the next day or the next day. I want to get something right now. So I want... Within an hour. Within an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, we also offer a, a couple of different sort of offerings that you don't see in the market. Um, opportunity to substitute by speaking directly to a shopper, for example, which puts customers in a, a really high degree of control of their purchase. So that's kind of how it works. Uh, but so, so the shopper will engage with the customer during the shopping process. Is that what that means? Absolutely. Okay. So when you go through and make a selection of, of categories, retail stores, etc., you might choose pet food from one of the pet stores on our platform. Um, you might fo- cho- choose allergics. Mm-hmm. Uh, from one of the pharmacy partners on the store. That is a really fun crossover that we see quite often. And you might use liquor from Macro Liquor, for example. And these can all be in the same order? These will all be in the same order. We'll have a shopper curating that order from you. And you can also select whether you want substitutions to be pre-selected for you. You can select them yourself. You can choose, I don't want any substitution. Or you can say, I want the shopper to ask me directly what I want. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, you'll get a WhatsApp and they'll say, hello, sir, this one is out. Would you like this one? Mm-hmm. And that is a high degree of control that we see a lot of our customers enjoying, in addition to the proposition, which is really at the root of our value, which is variety. Yeah. And that's kind of how it works. But in addition to this North Star, which is building this marketplace, we're also building capabilities. And this is another reason that MassMart wanted to get involved. Because in addition to just being this on-demand marketplace, we also obviously have behind that capabilities, technology capabilities, analytics capabilities, and field operation capabilities like shopping and delivery. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that we make those available to the mass mart banners, the macros, the games, the builders. Mm-hmm. And the third prong is really to begin to offer those capabilities to other aspiring businesses who want to come online. Mm-hmm. And we're already doing that to a variety of different retailers today. Interesting. Now, MassMart obviously owns a bunch of retail stores in South Africa. MassMart in turn, of course, is owned by America's Walmart. Um, but the brands, um, I think most people are familiar that MassMart owns brands like Macro, Builders, Game. Uh, what are some of the others? They've got several, but, yeah. but those are the three banners. The three, the three main ones are those, yeah. are those three entities. Uh, so... But but uh, OneCart has historically and continues to work with other retailers, um, companies that would have historically and are competitors to MassMart. I'm talking about Clicks, Pick and Pay, Woolworths, and others, and of course also the macro brands. Oh, sorry, the MassMart brands sit inside OneCart. But it's an interesting strategy for a big retailer to have a, a comp- have a business within its. Um, group uh, that provides uh, online shopping to competitive retail brands. What is the thinking behind that? Sure. So I think it's important firstly to say that OneCard operates completely independently mm-hmm. of, of MassMart. We don't operate out of the same building. We don't share any of the sensitive data. Of course we don't. Otherwise, the value proposition would kind of erode away. Right. So we're a completely independent but wholly owned subsidiary. Uh, by the way, we're not the only subsidiary. We also uh, share um, subsidiary status with a delivery partner, for example. Mm. The idea is that in addition to the marketplace being essentially a revenue generator, that while we build this marketplace, we are also building these capabilities, mm. the capability to offer rapid fulfillment and delivery to the likes of a macro or a game 
um, which are within the same stable. Yeah. So while the marketplace is independent and agnostic, the muscle that we've built to develop the marketplace can be offered directly to MassMart rather than them using third-party suppliers. Okay, so there's value in MassMart owning this business because there's learnings they can get for, for which they can then apply in their own e-commerce operations? That's exactly how to think about it. Okay, okay. Great. So... Um, MassMart obviously has its own e-commerce strategy and has been doing some very interesting stuff in, in the last year or two in terms of um, you know relaunching the game website, macro websites and other online offerings. Um, how does OneCart fit in with that MassMart e-commerce strategy or is it really a separate entity that, that kind of doesn't fit into that group strategy around e-commerce? What, what is the, how do the two businesses communicate, work together? Yeah, sure. So I guess... As I mentioned before, the marketplace element of OneCart, the customer-facing proposition, which is completely independent, yeah. shares very little with the MassMart group. Mm -hmm. It has to uh, in order to kind of… Otherwise, Woolworths and Clicks wouldn't work with you. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's very little that's shared. All that is shared is the capability. The degree to which OneCart can very successfully build apps, mm. uh, run analytics, run call centers and support centers, run a field operation of shoppers and drivers, and then offer those capabilities where needed into what we call the MassMart banners, which are the three MassMart mm. uh, big brands, the game and macro and builders. So they might say, take some of the processes and technologies that you've built for OneCart and say, hey, that, that's a really good idea. We could take this bit and use it on the game website. For example, that's that's a great example. So you might find one of those banners say, "What would really uh, accelerate our integration and, and our adoption into e-commerce would be a rapid fulfillment within the store mm. capability." One card, can you do that for us? Mm -hmm. And you might find a different one says, we're really struggling with our delivery partner. One card, can you do that for us? And you might find a third says, we're really struggling with our customer service. One card, you do that very well. Can we use that from you? So they can cherry pick capabilities according to their needs. Mm -hmm. And that really is kind of the second prong of the strategy. Okay. Well, take, take us through how the one card business has grown. I don't know if you can, you're able to disclose raw numbers, but uh, maybe you can, if not, maybe you can give us an indication of, of the growth in percentage terms. What have you seen perhaps since COVID? Um, how has the OneCart business grown and what is the market looking like in 2023? Sure. So pre-COVID, the business was obviously fairly nascent. COVID, it did really well, but it also attracted a lot of entrants into the market, mm. which weren't direct competitors, but the propositions do overlap, which saw a bit of a leveling off of the business. <clears throat> However, it was still a very strong player in the on-demand space. At point of buyouts, that's where we really went through a, a process of kind of replatforming uh, and kind of growing up. That meant a brand new app, a brand new website, which is about to roll out, and a brand new kind of recommunicated proposition. What is this all about? How does it work? By proposition, I mean proposition to customers, but also proposition to other retail merchants, mm -hmm. either to come onto the platform or to use our capabilities. So the business really went from kind of a one-trick pony into a two, into a three. It's now far more diverse. Uh, our field force has grown by about 100% mm. in the last six months. And our sales are up, I wouldn't say by that amount, because things have leveled off. Mm -hmm. um, but we're now at the beginning of the hockey stick. Mm -hmm. We've really been stabilizing, replatforming, growing the business in the right areas and kind of uh, future fitting the key areas for growth, sales, technology, for example, getting ready. And that preparedness has kind of set us up very well for a very strong Q4, which mm -hmm. we're seeing now. Uh, and at this point of growth, the challenge really isn't bringing in orders. 
It's maintaining stability, operational stability and fulfillment. And that is the focus right now. All right. So you're very, very busy with uh, with orders and stuff. But you mentioned the J-curve or the hockey stick uh, um, for one cart. Do you think the South African e-commerce market more broadly is is uh, about to do this J-curve um, thing? I mean, we've seen, we saw a huge uh, um, uptick in e-commerce um, because of COVID and people be- became more familiar with shopping online. But th- Online sales as a percentage of total retail sales is still relatively small if you compare it to Europe or North America. I think you'll know the figures better than I do, but I think it's sitting at around four to five percent of total retail sales in South Africa now. Um, does that does that change radically in the coming years? I think it does. I think to answer your initial question, you have to look at how nascent e-commerce is, mm. um, and you're right; it's hovering at around four percent. That is mm. to say, four percent of all retail sales come from online channels. Now that is that is very small. But it's massive growth from where it was before COVID, right? Sure, yeah. absolutely. But um, but I think the first thing that that means is we're all still students here. Okay. Um, though very few of us will tell you that, but we're, we're right at the beginning. Um, I think if you kind of have to line up the fact that we're so small as a percentage of total retail, and you line that alongside the number of kind of friction points or problems that we have today in the market, uh, really basic problems like getting groceries delivered, mm. getting a parcel delivered with visibility and security, the number number of solutions is nowhere near the number of problems that we have in South Africa. I think that we are primed for a real sort of um, acceleration. I think that the entrance of a couple of big people, I'm sure you'll reference them in a moment, mm-hmm. are really going to rise the tide. Uh, and I'm very excited. I think we needed some big players to kind of step in um, and keep us honest and force us to accelerate and adapt. And I truly think that this is a great time to be in e-commerce because we're about to see a rise, which mm-hmm. is going to mean we're busier, we're probably a little more tired, but it's a time that I think we're going to see an explosion of innovation and kind of new solutions to problems that we've had for many years. So we're at 4% of uh, total retail sales now in 2023. Where will we be in 2030, do you think? In 2030, I think the easiest way to to look at that might be to line us up with other markets that are also developing, mm-hmm. um, going through some of the same struggles that we're going through, but have managed to break through a ceiling. And by 2030, I, I'm not saying that we'll be in double digits, but I think that we will probably be towards double digits. Mm-hmm. It's going to rely on a, a lot of things. It's going to rely on, I think, talent coming into the market, big players coming into the market, one of which we have, mm-hmm. one of which we won't talk about because it comes in under the radar. It's a, it's a fashion app, but there are going to be more of those coming in. Mm-hmm. I think the velocity with which those come in is going to inform the rate at which we accelerate. Mm -hmm. But I think that by 2030, we should get up towards double digits. And I think if you think about where we are today, to double all of e-commerce is is quite a daunting thing, but Mm -hmm. I think an exciting one. So doubling to 10% would be would be a pretty big improvement, um, but a 10% is still a relatively small number compared to the total number. Given the amount of money that uh, retailers are investing in their e-commerce channels in South Africa at the moment, do you think the spend that we're seeing is justified? I do if you think about it at a macro level. And I think it's important to try and validate the, a number like that, which mm-hmm. seems relatively small, with an understanding of kind of our market dynamics. Right. We obviously have a large proportion of our population which lives in informal areas. Mm. Now that takes uh, infrastructural progress and acceleration. It's not going to come from sort of government assistance, but it probably is going to come from the big players, which is why at a macro level, I believe you need big players to put down heavy investments, not just in their services, but also in infrastructure. And their players now uh, laying cable and fiber in some of the more remote areas of the country. I think that that's how you start. And I think that to get well above double digits into the 20s and 30s requires mm-hmm. that that infrastructure is laid. And I think that that process is beginning now. Mm-hmm. And post-2030, 
I think that we will begin to reap the fruits of that infrastructure being laid. Okay, so, so maybe let's talk a bit about those challenges that they're going to have to be overcome if we're going to get to those sort of percentages. I know that um, in, there are a lot of people living in informal areas in South Africa where there actually are no addresses, for example, um, making it more difficult for fulfillment. But I, I imagine that's a challenge. But what, what are some of the other challenges that are unique to South Africa that um, re- local retailers are going to have to overcome that maybe an Amazon in the US never had to? Yeah, so I think you know addresses is one. I think another one might be security, for example. You know, many of us are in the delivery business now, which is an important leg of any of these mm-hmm. services. But security is an issue. You know, we now have um, delivery drivers driving into more dangerous areas and not wanting to drive into those areas. So there is an argument to be made for securing both the goods. But I think there's a more sustainable solution there, which a couple of players are moving into, which yeah. is partnering with local communities in order to kind of provide a social upliftment piece and also a service delivery piece. That is a different approach to solving this idea of uh, dangerous areas, security, for example. And I think at a, at a broader level, uh, South Africans love to talk about problems. We're really good at talking about why we can't do things. Mm-hmm. We talk about uh, the lack of acceleration into e-commerce being a result of a lack of um, government assistance and support in network infrastructure, for example. But I don't think that's the right way to think about it. I think that, you know, when I hear people talk about that, I wonder to myself whether the guys at ESCOM Sapush would call rolling blackouts a problem <laughs> or whether the guys at Sweep South would call a lack of government stepping in into the domestic services area a problem. I don't think so. I think it just changes the, the frame slightly. Um, and if we were able to change our mindset like that, I think we definitely could come up with solutions. We're a very, very entrepreneurial people. Mm. It just takes a shift in mindset to come up with those solutions. And I don't even think we're scratching the surface. Interesting, interesting stuff. So you hinted at it a bit earlier. We know there's a, a, a very big e-commerce player launching in this market next year. Um, I, I think everyone knows I'm talking about Amazon. They have finally com- communicated that their retail marketplace will be launching in 2024. Uh, how does that change the market here in South Africa? I think it depends who you are. Mm. So let's start with the retailers. If you're a retailer and you sell to a customer and you don't have an online proposition, Now's the time to move. Okay. Now, I know that that's scary. There's massive capex. It's, it's a scary thing. I'm, I'm on the road a lot speaking to a lot of these retailers. Mm-hmm. But there are much easier ways to get into it. You know, join a marketplace that exists, for example. Join an on-demand marketplace. Speak to one cart. There are many of us. So you need to have some skin in the game by the time Amazon arrives. That's okay. what I would say to retailers. As far as the players that are already there, um, yeah, it's scary. It's daunting. I think it's a good thing. I think it's a net gain. I think that when your e-commerce penetration is at 4%, uh, you can only benefit at a macro level Mm. from a rising of the tide. And I think that if you're a ship that's on the water right now, you're going to benefit from the rising of the tide. Sure, it's going to mean that you need to accelerate, you need to be brave and, and take risks, and you need to adapt. But I think that if you have a horse in the game, now is a great time for that, that tide to rise, and I think it's about to happen. Okay, but uh, how do you think it changes the e-commerce marketplace in South Africa? Does it, what does it mean for consumers? Does it actually have a big impact? I mean, I've spoken to some people who suggest that Amazon is actually going to be a bit of a damp squib when it launches because it's, it's going to have the same suppliers as Take A Lot and all the other players in the market, and that um, you know it may have some alternatives, but it's, it's not going to have the sort of range that you can get in, say, the Amazon in Amazon's US store, for example. Um, and a lot of people are thinking the whole Amazon is coming here, but that's not 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 necessarily the case. Um, do you think our retailers, given the investments they've made in recent years, and I know some are ahead of others, but do you think that, broadly speaking, our retailers are ready for this? I think they're getting ready. Mm-hmm. I think that um, 
there has been an acceleration in preparedness for this um, for some time. It's helped that the announcement went out a long, long time mm. ago. So, yeah. so that's helped everyone to kind of pull up their, their socks. Um, and I think there is something to be said for the, the, the prowess of the marketplaces at the moment in South Africa. Mm. I also would just say, and returning to a macro level, that adding in a, a prolific competitor can only be good for the market. Yeah. If we were at 75% penetration, I'd be worried mm. because the pie has already fairly saturated and someone's going to lose their lunch. We're not there yet. Mm-hmm. And I think we can only gain from some of the learnings that Amazon are going to bring. At the same time, you're right. They're going to use similar service providers. They're going to take learnings uh, and executives from from perhaps local entities. So there is going to be knowledge sharing. I don't think it's going to be um, a tidal change immediately. I think that there will be things that we learn, but I also think that there'll be things that they learn. Mm. And I must say, just stepping back for a second and, and, and running a marketplace, one more competitor with this kind of prowess can only be good for the consumer. Mm. And I also think it's going to keep us honest. It's going to force us to accelerate. Um, and I'm actually looking forward to it. I think yeah. it's going to be exciting times. Yeah. yeah. Do, you think, do you think it's an advantage that um, local retailers understand the, mar- the local market uh, intimately, whereas Amazon is coming into this market and operates mainly in developed markets? Do you think it's, perhaps, uh, do you think it's a big advantage for our, our local guys who are dealing with issues like crime and delivery issues and all this sort of stuff, which are perhaps unique to this market? Uh, how much of an advantage is that? I think, it's, I think it's a strong advantage, but I don't think it's an advantage that's sustainable yeah. because of the reasons that you called out earlier, which is the fact that Amazon is likely to call on some of the expertise of They'll the learn. local players. It's exactly what I would do. Mm-hmm. So there will be an advantage. Of course there will be. Yeah. There will be local knowledge, which is which is incredibly important, but it'll only take so much time before yeah. Amazon learn a couple of these things. And I think at that point, maybe they start unlocking some problems for us that they've seen elsewhere in the world. Remember that some of the issues we're facing are not unique to South Africa. Mm-hmm. They're faced in many developing nations in the world, and Amazon is not coming to South Africa for the first time. They've been elsewhere all over in developing nations. They've faced some of these challenges. They've solved some. Mm. And maybe they're grappling with others. There's things that they can learn from us. But similarly, yeah. I'm sure that they'll bring some solutions that we can learn from. Yeah, you're quite right. It's not the first time they've been in an emerging market and they've been in India for a few years as well. So they, they have some learnings. Um, the other interesting one, I read a, a, an analyst uh, comment um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I forget who said it, but uh, it was an interesting remark that um, competition in the retail space is no longer just going to come from players who are actually operating in market. That retail is becoming very globalized and I know there is friction and anyone who's ordered from Amazon in the UK or the US knows that there is friction associated with it but some companies and Shine is is an example Chinese fashion brand Shine is a a good example of this that operating mostly offshore uh, yet selling huge volumes into the local market Um, do retailers even need a significant presence in the South African market anymore to compete and if not does that change the dynamics of the game I think that they do. I think that they can benefit from one. I think it's an advantage. However, um, I think it's time to accelerate and adapt, as I've been saying a, a couple of times, sure. because because I feel quite strongly that while everyone is talking about the big, shiny, green thing, Amazon, mm. uh, real competition is going to come under the radar. And Shine is a really, really great example. You know, Everyone's looking left and from right, suddenly a company that nobody's ever heard from comes in under the radar. And yep. the first you see of them is viral videos on TikTok. Mm. And if you think that China is, you know, an anomaly, a unicorn, it's not. It's the smoke before the fire. Yeah. So that's coming. Um, that said, Shine had to come and establish a presence, establish a reputation, and they had to do that through kind of price promotion and operational prowess, mm-hmm. which means that they're at a significant disadvantage. So yes, retailers can 
significantly benefit from a local presence. Mm-hmm. There's brand equity there. Our retailers are extremely strong. They're trusted. And I'm willing to bet that if they had the same level of operational prowess and perhaps mm. retail proposition that the shines of the world had, then they would do fantastically well. It's just the fact that China is coming in with a vastly different operating model mm. and one that we're going to need to adapt to, mm-hmm. which has some of the retailers on the back foot. But again, I think that they have all the advantage if they can just learn, adapt and accelerate. Mm. So local retailers should actually look at what China is doing and how they, how they market themselves, how they communicate with customers, how they go to market strategy, et cetera, and adapt that locally. But the real advantage for local retailers is that, is that they're local and that they understand the local market conditions. Yeah. So I think a few things. Mm. One, I totally agree. They understand local market conditions. That said, though, think about where the shines of the world are coming from. They have very similar market conditions in places like China, um, Bangladesh, India, for example. So they have some of the same challenges. But, I mean, don't turn your nose up at the idea of how strong these brands are, the reputational equity behind these brands. People want to invest in our big retail brands. They're mm-hmm. fantastic. They, you know, Our grandparents use these retail brands, mm-hmm. so they want to back our own horses. But we've got to compete at the same level. I would also say that it's important to remember that the way people are shopping today, everyone that comes online is omni-shopping. Mm-hmm. Very, very few people are coming online and never going back to the physical environment. Almost all of them are shopping in both, both yeah. which means that it's a significant advantage to have both mm. in the game. And I suppose that builds brand loyalty as well, because if you if you like a particular online shopping experience, you, you may be more likely to shop at that retailer's physical store as well. I think that's a really good point, and it's one that the grocery players learned quite early on, mm-hmm. that in addition to extending their reach – Online grocery delivery also provided an acquisition tool Mm. and people would try some of these retailers which they may not try before and then be sold. Mm. So I think that's that's spot on. The last point I'd make about local versus versus global is a really important point um, for not the pure players but the traditional uh, retailers who are moving into e-commerce. And this is to get out of your own way. Um, the biggest complaint, the most frequent complaint that I hear from, from e-commerce colleagues all over the country mm-hmm. is that they're spending most of their time planning, aligning, reporting, and none of these things are moving their businesses forward. And I can promise you that the likes of Shine are not. Mm-hmm. They're out there selling and moving product across the borders. So as long as we continue to operate as big, heavy, traditional retailers, we are not leveraging our advantage. Mm-hmm. We need to get out of our own way, be much more adept, agile, and accelerate growth into e-commerce um, by getting out of our own way. Yeah, so. yeah. How, how digital are retailers going to become? I mean, we saw we saw how banking has transferred from to, or, or transformed from this staid old thing that you did in a building uh, uh, in the CBD or uh, in your local shopping center into something you access on your phone. And, and banking really is a digital service now. Does retail go that far as well? It's a really interesting question because we've seen examples of yes and no. Mm -hmm. We've seen a handful of super apps a couple of years ago, which aren't quite getting the traction that everyone thought that they'd get um, for various reasons. But at the same time, we've seen some of the big retailers do exceptionally well. And we do see a sense of convergence. By that, I mean retailers who were offering one proposition now moving into another proposition. Mm -hmm. We see, for example, the takeaway guys now offering groceries, Mm -hmm. the grocery guys now offering pets and vice versa. And I think that where the value proposition and the the differentiator may be in COVID with something like speed and reliability, essentially operational prowess, I think that that's going to move to the degree to which 
a retailer can offer something outside of its core competency. Mm-hmm. Because if you're grocery and you're trying to go into something else, well, that's not your core competency. But if you can do it, I think that that is where convergence is going to benefit the few. Um, but that's a real challenge, I think, yeah. crossing over into a slightly different proposition. Interesting. I wanted to get your views on on subscriptions because uh, your former employer just, uh, in fact, announced a 99 rand a month su- a subscription where you get various benefits, etc. It's kind of the Amazon Prime uh, model or maybe the Amazon Prime Lite model. Um, been very successful in the US. Um, do you think the subscription model is going to find traction in South Africa? Is it something that OneCart is looking at? I mean, of course, we're considering it, you know, as a subsidiary of MassMart and therefore Walmart. Walmart has a huge successful subscription model called Walmart Plus. And, okay. um, and so, so, yes, it's always on the radar. I think it's important to remember the purpose of it, you know. So let's say, for example, it's a defensive play to stop switching. It's from about one, loyalty, right? I, yeah. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's about loyalty and frequency. Mm-hmm. But I believe that the strength of a subscription is rooted not in the price point, but maybe in what other need states this player can serve mm. to stop me going elsewhere. Mm. So as I talk about convergence and one player going into someone else's space and vice versa, the propositions within that stable need to be strong enough to stop me going somewhere else. And mm. that's a big if. Mm. You know, if I am if I am loyal to a certain pet store or a pet store that stocks my favorite pet brand, mm. then I'm very unlikely to move into another area, for example, a retailer in pet that doesn't, for example, stock those. So it's a big if. And I think it's not going to depend so much on what that price point of subscription is. It's going to depend on the value that I get from the other services within that ecosystem. I'm not sure we're there yet, but it's certainly a race mm. for the big retailers to try and converge and offer a whole variety of need states. It's interesting. Do you think everyone's going to do this at some point? Uh, it's it's clearly worked well for Amazon in, in the US. I haven't looked at the Walmart uh, uh, numbers, but um, it's clearly worked well for Amazon. ShopRite is trying to replicate it here. Do you see all the other guy, big guys trying to do the same thing? And I imagine there's a there's a point at which consumers will say, well, I can't have a subscription for everything and I'll just choose one or two. And that may end up creating this lock-in. It certainly has happened in the US uh, where people just automatically order from Amazon uh, because of their prime subscriptions. Um, so that lock-in has been created. Um, do, do you think, um, I mean, is there is there space in the South African market for everyone to be doing this? I think it helps not to be first movers in this space and to look at what's happened. Mm -hmm. Um, By that, I mean not to be first movers in offering subscription and not to be first movers as a country who's going through this evolution to see where this heads. Again, I'll return to my belief in that the value of a subscription is in what is offered within the subscription, not the price of the subscription. So why is Amazon so strong? Well, because it's got two of many very, very strong propositions. It's got Amazon and it's got Amazon Prime. Mm -hmm. Those are very strong. If Amazon Prime wasn't strong, would that be compelling enough? Well, maybe not. Mm. But I think it's very important that you have two or three very strong verticals within that ecosystem to keep people in. I think that it's great to be first mover and you capture a lot of the market. However, remember that market is 4%. Mm -hmm. So people are going to look and compare and they're going to choose. And we do see, as you mentioned, the U.S. getting to a point where people are saying, for example, in streaming, Mm -hmm. I can afford one streaming service and two, but three and they're going to begin to select. And we almost come full circle back to the beginning again. Yeah. So I think it's going to come back around to the value proposition offered, not just, for example, a single value proposition, but a series of value propositions across the need states. Yeah. Beyond those subscriptions, though, I mean, obviously, retailers are trying to deliver goods as fast and as efficiently as possible at the lowest cost for the consumer, et cetera, et cetera. But are there... Beyond things like um, subscriptions, um, what other options are there for retailers to create that lock-in and that customer 
loyalty beyond your traditional loyalty schemes? I think loyalty is done very well in South Africa. I think it's a very it's a very strong area that we've done very well in banks and retailers mm-hmm. alike. My personal belief is that variety wins at the end of the day. I think South Africans are very loyal to brands. I don't just mean brands of products, but brands of stores and products, um, as well as retail brands as well. I personally believe that uh, a subscription that locks me out from choosing my favorite, for example, pet or baby mm-hmm. or sporting brands is probably not for me. Mm-hmm. So um, a 99 Rand, for example, 120 Rand is not going to appeal to me personally unless within that ecosystem I have my favorite brands. Yep. So I personally believe that the marketplaces at the moment are the place to look. If, as long as they are offering all of the variety, yep. my favorite pharmacy, my favorite pet store, my favorite baby store, and so on and so forth, that is probably where I would look first mm-hmm. um, rather than trying to, to lock in loyalty uh, through a subscription service. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is OneCart's business model? How do you make money? Yeah, three ways. So the one is that um, the merchants that come onto our platform, uh, we agree a commission model with these merchants. We right. try to keep to in-store pricing, of course, and we agree a commission model based on several kinds of tiering uh, sort of methodologies and rebates, et cetera, but we try to keep it quite simple. Mm-hmm. That's the one way. The second way is kind of media sales. So we obviously work with a lot of suppliers to place media on and off of our page to try and get people clicking through and purchasing those products and making them aware of those products. The next way is through our capabilities. So we're selling these capabilities as component parts. There are retailers out there who say, we need someone to help do our shopping and our merchandising and our picking. And we have others saying, we need someone to help us with our analytics. Mm -hmm. And we have others saying, we need someone with a rapid delivery. And that's the second piece. And the third piece is through our capability offering to MassMart, who are doing a very similar thing. So there's three ways. There's one on the marketplace. There's one in our capabilities to the market, and there's one in our capabilities back to MassMart. So you'd even consult with uh, with a client that wants to come on and say, you know, this is the way to, to, to build an e-commerce operation. This is how we can work together. This is how you need to re-engineer your processes internally to be able to do this, et cetera. That's, those are all capabilities that you'd engage with with merchants on. Yeah. In fact, I'd go one step further. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the merchants that come on board and that we're talking to now – First, come on board with the marketplace. Okay. Thereafter, they say, can you do some of these for us? Right. And thereafter, perhaps say, let's talk about end-to-end service. We always suggest that they first come onto marketplace because it's such an easy entrance mm. into e-commerce. There are no setup or startup fees. Um, you're only paying a very small and marginal commission and you learn along with us. And then you get to a point six or 12 months down the line where you say, maybe we could do this ourselves. What capabilities do you guys offer? And that's step two. And step three might be, why don't you do this for us? But mm. we always begin at the beginning. It's a great sort of um, petri dish for retailers to come online and see, does this work? Is this attractive to our customers? We would always suggest that rather than going all in with heavy capex at the beginning, if we're not quite sure if the value proposition makes sense mm. online. We've seen some retailers launching dark stores, um, and I presume to fulfill items that are purchased fairly frequently. Um, actually, I'm not sure about that. It might be for the less frequently purchased options, but um, we've seen a couple of retailers announcing they've, they've opened uh, dark stores, which consumers can't walk into. They're there specifically for the fulfillment of, of online shopping. Uh, dark stores, something you're looking at for one cart? Um, not right now. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason why is because, um, you know, it's very sexy sometimes to start with the solution mm. and say, let's open dark stores. But it's important to start with what problem you're trying to solve. So in Europe, for example, dark stores are like supremely uh, successful. We've got the likes of Getter, Gorillas, etc. But what, what can dark stores fulfill? Well, they can fulfill very, very fast service 
to a very, very small area. Mm-hmm. What can't they fulfill? They can't fulfill fresh produce very well, for example, because right. it's, it's difficult. They were actually purchasing from a, a fulfillment center, ideally, mm-hmm. housing in a warehouse, and then fulfilling to a very small area. Yeah. So I think you must be very clear on what you're trying to go after with a dark store. Now, the one... The one use case for a dark store is exactly that. Let's put up a lot of these in very clustered neighborhoods and let's deliver a very limited and curated selection very, very quickly. Great. The other one that you're talking about, I think, in South Africa is where you're getting to a point of saturation. You've got a retailer, for example, which is serving customers, but it's also serving online customers, which is great up until it gets to the point that you're wrestling with an online shopper in the store for your broccoli. It's happened to me. It's, it has, it's happened <laughs> Out of the to, way. It's happened to most of us. And unfortunately, they know the layout of the store way better than you do. That's true. Um, so they're going to win. Um, when some retailers get to that point, mm. they get to a point of saturation where they say, now we need a bit of an overflow. Okay. And that's a really different secondary proposition. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. So you work with some of the biggest retailers in the country, but what about smaller guys who want to, want to use your marketplace? Um, there are some online marketplaces in South Africa that offer the fulfillment to SMEs. Um, but um, I'm sure some of those smaller guys would love to be participate in, in an on-demand marketplace for their goods. Uh, do, you, do you only work with the bigger guys or would you entertain conversations with, uh, with SMEs looking to sell their products through your marketplace? I, I am more interested in the smaller guys, to okay. be honest. We had to begin with the bigger guys mm-hmm. because that's where traffic is generated from. However, um, you know, with the bigger guys, some of them have their own direct uh, options. Mm-hmm. The smaller guys do not. I think that the beauty in one cart and any on-demand marketplace really is in providing a solution to the smaller guys who just aren't going to have the infrastructure to be able to do it on their own. Yeah. I also think that speciality, what malls call a long tail, is actually where the beauty of a mall or an online mall lies you know anyone can look at any place to get bananas for example but where do you get your cigars or your ice creams or your cakes that is really going to be the beauty of one cart mm-hmm. uh, it's going to follow the big guys and but are we already talking to the speciality guys because as i say i think that really is where the differentiator is and there's also a piece which is really fulfilling which is providing the ability for small guys to come online. Mm-hmm. There's one which is that it's attractive to my proposition, but there's a bigger one, I think, which is getting those guys online in a way that they just wouldn't be able to do without us. So, so if, I'm, if I'm, I'm an SME looking to sell the stuff, can I engage with you today or, or uh, will you be launching SME-specific services at some future date? You, you could engage with me today. Mm-hmm. We would probably have you upline in four weeks. In four weeks' time. Okay. And it doesn't matter how big you are. Uh, we would actually prefer working with smaller people. Okay. Um, they're very hungry. They're very focused. They're very dedicated. And I think there is a lot of loyalty that um, South Africans have to the smaller speciality stores, and we'd love to tap into that. Excellent to hear. Excellent to hear. Last question. Where is one, one card going? What's this business going to look like? Uh, uh, let's not say 2030, because that is a long way in the future. Three years from now, what, 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 where are you hoping to take one card? Yeah, so... As I said in the beginning, our aspiration is to be South Africa's leading on-demand marketplace. There's going to be a, a, a kind of a, a range of different marketplaces, but mm-hmm. on-demand marketplace is very different. Yeah. It's offering hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of articles, but having them delivered in 60 minutes, which I can tell you is it's fairly complex. Yes, I'm sure. Um, but we're really excited about it. So by 2030, yes, I would love to see us head and shoulders above anyone else. And I imagine at that point there will be other entrants. Mm-hmm. I would also love to see us uplifting a lot of the SMEs. I would love to see uh, the one card proposition having far, far more of long tailors mm-hmm. than of the big retailers. Sure, we need the anchor tenants, but I'll be very, very pleased to see many more of the speciality players on on the platform. The other place I'd love to see one card is as 
uh, the premium uh, on-demand capability being offered to other retailers. Mm -hmm. So today, yes, we offer our services to a range of different retailers, but we're honing that. Mm -hmm. We're building that muscle. And in addition to offering that to the mass mart banners, I would love to see us as the first stop that would be an aspiring retailer wanting to get online come to, asking for our thought leadership and for our rapid fulfillment capabilities. Excellent. Well, exciting time to be in the world of uh, e-commerce, Aidan. I'm really looking forward to seeing how this market changes in the coming years and uh, invite you back on any time to come and talk about this uh, sector because there really is so much uh, to talk about. Aidan Johnson is head of OneCart. Thanks for a great discussion. Lovely. Anytime. Thank you.